You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. 155 episodes of Play-By-Play Cast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download. Glad to have you along with us. My name is Joel Gadette. This is the podcast about Play-By-Play Broadcasters for Play-By-Play Broadcasters, hosted by play-by-play broadcaster a professional development podcast that dives into the tips tricks experience stories process and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business you can follow the pod on social media at pxpcast i'm at joel godet j-o-e-l-g-o-d-e-t-t or email me j-g-o-d-e-t-t at bsu.edu our guest today comes to us from the Pac-12 conference. Tony Castricone is in his, or he just finished his second year as the voice of the Washington Huskies. He started basketball season two years ago, then just did his first football season and his second basketball season with a trip to the NCAA tournament with uh, head coach Mike Hopkins. By his side, or 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 by his side, they went together one one coached and one commentated uh this week he's our guest to talk about his journey there because tony exemplifies if you've never heard his story before um he's been on some other pods and you can read some other articles about i mean was in sports broadcasting was fired traveled the country for 40 days playing open mics and singing original music and original songs like this one Freaking A, I can't wait till I'll freaking be able to freaking see what it is you freaking deem to be important. It ain't freaking easy to put all my freaking effort into cleaning up your world because you want to rate it. Freaking G, it's so carefree, and I spend all my freaking H show you are thinking about you. I've actually listened to that song a bunch of times uh, <laughs> since since Tony and I had this conversation, and I'm, I'm still amazed to, well, I, I mean, I guess a freaking was the word. And you've played it enough and you wrote it. You're probably not going to slip up, but I don't know. That's playing with fire. Um, <laughs> uh, played the country, traveled the country, playing music for 40 days. And, uh, you know, he'll tell us the story of how we got back into broadcasting from that and working for ISP and then IMG as a studio guy and as a full-time uh, employee and then being the voice of Clemson basketball while still doing all of that stuff. So driving to Clemson, South Carolina basketball games from his home in North Carolina, which you might say that's not that far. It's like three hours round trip for every game, um, just so that he could have that opportunity to continue to chase the play-by-play dream, which eventually led uh, to his spot at Washington. We'll talk a little bit about his career path, but we'll also dive in uh, to how he calls games and what he's learned, like we like we do so often on this podcast. And there's some interesting things he talks about in terms of who your audience is, knowing who your audience is, and figuring out who you're trying to impress by what you're doing on the air every single game. Uh, so Tony Castricone is our guest, and we start with his musical career here on this edition of PXPCast. 
how did you not wind up actually cursing on live television? <laughs> uh, so there's a funny story that is actually not in that clip. Uh, so to, for anybody, who, for everybody who hasn't heard that song, uh, the song is called Frickin' A, and um, it just it it says the word frickin' what twenty six times, and um, you know that we we kind of wrap up the little deal. It's kind of one of those morning magazine shows, like ten or eleven a.m. Whatever. They toss it over to the weatherman, and he's like, "It's going to frickin' rain," <laughs> <laughs> which was which was pretty apropos. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I I've always liked songwriting. Songwriting is just a uh, probably my number one favorite hobby uh i haven't really done it in the last couple of years since i've moved to seattle there's not quite the same songwriting singer songwriter uh songwriting culture up here that there is maybe down in like north carolina where i was coming from uh, but pearl, pearl uh, jam online too there well see it's not the singer songwriter <laughs> style right true, it's true, grungy true. style it's a rock style true it's, it's a whole different style of music up here but yeah huge music culture you got Pearl Jam, you got, you know, um, Jimi Hendrix is from up here, obviously Kurt Cobain and, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. But less the guy and his guitar, here. like, hanging out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not the coffee house kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, I'm, I'm curious about that. And for people that don't know, uh, you can go back and research uh, Tony when he got laid off from radio back in 2010, traveled the country, 40-day tour. Would you do 36 states? Mm-hmm. And you yeah. played, played coffee houses and played your own music, um, got yourself uh, clearly on television in doing it all. Um, what did that teach you, or maybe that you already knew, what did it bring out in terms of hustling and chasing something and, uh, you know, getting yourself on television is not easy. Uh, we obviously know that from our line of work, but you did it for something that was totally different like that what what did you learn about just trying to connect with people as you traveled the country doing something completely different than all of this yeah uh, well it never hurts to ask right like i mean i um the the particular video that i think you saw was probably on uh abc2 in baltimore Mm -hmm. and uh the woman that i was on with uh on her on her show she was an anchor in Columbus, Ohio, which was the market that I'd worked in before. And so I just zipped an email and was like, hey, I remember you when you were on in Columbus. You know, I was at this radio station. Here's what I'm doing now. Um, you know, uh, would you mind if I had a tour of the station or something? And then, like, sometimes those lower asks can inevitably get your foot in the door for, like, a bigger offer. Um, and so... Yeah, there was a lot of hustling. It was kind of like, hey, I don't have anything going on right now after this layoff. So I've always believed that pour yourself into whatever you're going to do. And and at that time, it was it just felt like the right thing to do. I'd done a lot of considering like, you know, do I do I have to absolutely, um, you know, panic and like take the, the next job that's available or you know, I've got a, a little bit of a severance from this layoff and I cashed out my 401k. I gave myself a little bit of a buffer to make sure that the next step was going to be the right thing for me. And so I just really threw myself into um, what I was going to do that summer because I, I just think you should throw yourself into whatever it is that your objective is at the time. And like my dad told me growing up, he was like, Tony, you can't have everything. Well, no, what did he say? He said, you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. Right. And that, that really like 
resonated with me as I kind of grew up and I just learned about commitment. Like, you know, commitment is such a big catalyst to maximizing your potential because if you're divided in all these different ways, you could be like, you know, the jack of all trades, the master of none. Um, but if you really just throw yourself into what it is that you're doing, that's going to uh, drastically increase the chances that you see any success doing it. So I, I really threw myself into songwriting that summer because it was a hobby that I loved. And it, it led to me fortuitously passing through North Carolina, talking to some people at ISP Sports at the time that I had met before, but uh, and, and had entertained the idea of getting a, an entry level part time job at ISP. Uh, that didn't sound like that great of a move when I had a full-time job, but then when I had no job, suddenly part-time looks pretty good, doesn't it? You know, so um, uh, at, you know, I induced a job interview as I was traveling the country, and that was kind of what it was all about. It was like, okay, I've only lived in Ohio. My world just got rocked. I got laid off this job in my hometown market where I really could have seen myself being forever. How on earth? do I try to figure out what the next step is? And I just, uh, you know, that whole, that whole music thing, it was really just a, I, I don't want to say I wasn't taking the music part seriously because I was, and I loved it. And I, I was hoping I could open some doors there too, but it was really just a vehicle for putting myself out there in the world and seeing what doors would open up and, and just kind of having a spirit of openness to whatever the next step would be. And so it ended up being a part-time job at ISP and, ISP got acquired by IMG, part-time turned to full-time, full-time turned to, you know, making all these connections in the industry, and, and I wouldn't be where I am today without that. We always talk on this podcast about how there is no one way uh, to get to anywhere in this industry, and I, I would imagine mm -hmm. fr from the beginning you wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy. Was that always kind of the end goal for you? Yes, and it wasn't just play-by-play. -play. Like, it was college sports play-by-play -play. like I, I grew up in columbus ohio which i like to joke is the biggest college town in the world i mean it's 1.5 million people who until the columbus blue jackets came to town in 2000 never had a pro sports team so um you know obviously there's there's a a college in columbus that that gets pro sports coverage in Ohio state. And, and, you know, my dad went to Ohio state. I grew up in the shadow of the horseshoe and um, I just always had an affinity for college sports over, over the pros. I romanticized the Rose bowl over the super bowl. I romanticized the NCAA tournament over the NBA finals. I watched all of them, but the, the college is just, I, I just loved it, man. I, I loved the, you know, uh, it's it's just so different. The atmosphere is different. The environment's different. You know, it, it's I remember going to my first NFL game and I I felt like I felt like it just didn't have the the pageantry and the traditions and the, you know, the, the student sections with the cheerleaders trying to egg them on and the marching bands and, you know, the the, the depth of the rivalries that are 120 years old and all that stuff. That's what I love about college sports. And so I always wanted to work in college sports, wanted to do play by play and, and having a job like the one I have getting to do this at a university like the university of Washington, that's having success in both football and men's basketball in a world-class city like Seattle. Like this was the dream. This was the dream. Like I, I don't want to say uh, disingenuously that like, it was always the dream to do it for the Huskies 
but you know i it was always the dream to do it for what i would consider one of the top 10 or 20 programs in america in a great place to live where i could settle in and do that and this was like specifically it and so you know i i get asked you know to speak at a lot of maybe college um things at my alma mater or whatever where I'm, I'm asked to give advice to people who are trying to figure out how you know what what road is my road going to look like to try to get to where i want to be maybe i'm not going to do a, a 40-day acoustic guitar tour but maybe i'm going to have my own wacky road to get there um and 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 what's that look like and i just always encourage people you know from 18 to 22 when you're in that college environment you're in that space where you you are trying to figure out what it is that you want to commit to because you do have to commit to something or else you're really not going to build up to your potential in whatever it is that you want to do in life try a million things you know try i i, I did newspaper i did tv radio i did um i dj top 40 music at a local radio station i did all sorts of different things and i i liked producing tv i like there was a, there was a point in time where I was like, man, I would love to be a producer on 60 minutes. Like just those news magazine shows that, you know, you, you dive into a story for two weeks and then you, you put something long form together or maybe do documentaries or something like that. But as I tried everything that I possibly could, I started to, to figure out a little bit. Well, I might have a little bit of a competitive advantage here. Plus I really, really love it. Plus like, I'm getting encouraged when I pass my tapes along to other people. They're saying like, yeah, don't give up on this. Like you, you got some things to work on, but you're also like, you're not bad. And so as, as you know, you got this wide base of things you're trying and hopefully as you're maturing, you're, you're narrowing that focus more and more and more and more and more narrow until you can absolutely zero in on, okay, here's what I'm going to go for broke with. And, and for me, that was, I really wanted to do, college sports play by play and um the fact that it worked out it granted it took me 15 years to get here <laughs> but the fact that it worked out like i look back and i just feel nothing but blessed i feel like this has been an unbelievable journey that there were a, there were a lot of times where it, it like i i liken it to just being on a highway where you don't even know how much longer you, you have to go. You don't even know if you're going to get to your destination. You're in horrible traffic. And there are 25 exit ramps between here and where you're trying to go. And there's going to be a lot of temptation to just like pull over on the exit ramp, get, get off and turn around, you know, but, and, and, and the thing is that might be the wise thing to do. You really don't know. I think it takes like, you, I don't think people should go for broke with whatever their passion is because there's a chance you might not really be that talented in what it is you're passionate about. But, but here's the thing. You could use that passion and match it up with something that you are talented with and then find something that brings those two things together. And, and that's what, that's like, that's like a getting to know yourself process. That's like ages 18 to 22. And then, you know, maybe you learn a lot more between 22 and 30, kind of like like I did, like, you know, that job that I got laid off from, I was doing mostly at a small role at the, at the radio station. I was doing mostly uh, updates, 60 second 
Sports Center updates on an ESPN radio station from 6 to 10 a.m. I was up at 4 a.m. every day for five years. And I was, you know, running out to media sessions and sticking my microphone in people's faces and coming back and cutting up the sound. And I would occasionally fill in on talk shows. And I didn't really think I was very good at those talk shows. Like, I mean, it wasn't my wheelhouse. I liked doing it. It was fun. It made me feel important. And, you know, in the midst of all that, I wanted my own show. But I wasn't really great at it. And, and part of it was because, you know, I, I think that I just wasn't really I wasn't really great at talking about something that someone else was telling me to talk about. My producer, my program director is telling me to talk about this. Well, I, I'm not passionate about that. Like, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on that. Well, you need to have a, you, you need to have a hot take. Okay. So like I developed some hot take that was really lukewarm and everybody could tell it wasn't authentic. You know, I, I wasn't good. I wasn't being me. I wasn't being true to myself. I wasn't being the authentic me and I was failing at it. And so even though at this period of time where it's like, okay, this is cool. I feel like I'm at a station in my hometown and I feel like somebody and my, my friends and family listen all the time and I got a talk show and, they're telling me that it's great, but inside I kind of knew this, this isn't great. This isn't really good. And it, and it resulted in me being laid off, <laughs> but you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because then it allowed me to hit the reset button. I got my foot in the door at ISP, which literally my first day on the job, Matt Chaz now, who was my boss, who's now the voice of Washington state. He calls me up and he says, uh, dude, I don't even know what's going on. There are a million chairs in the lobby. There's a press conference at 11 a.m. I know it's supposed to be your first day at work today, but you might want to just hold off for a second. I think we're merging. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Well, I hope I didn't just move from Ohio to North Carolina like to, to literally be fired on my first day. <laughs> um, but, you know, it ended up being the best thing ever because – ISP kind of acquired IMG's um, schools. It was really ISP's infrastructure that was um, bought and, and maintained. And so suddenly we went from producing maybe 30 schools in that building in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We went from producing 30 to like 50 overnight. And I was there at the right time and they needed more help. And I, I worked my butt off for eight months and I held down two other part-time jobs, both of which were in Virginia. I was driving 30,000 miles over the course of that eight-month fall and winter, working seven days a week. Didn't have enough money to even buy a bed. I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag for nine months in an empty apartment. But that work ethic and that hustle, and I was, I was in my wheelhouse. I was producing college sports live play-by-play -play radio. And this is exactly like... This was the opposite of talk shows. I was being me all the time, like doing exactly what I wanted to do in in what I thought I was really, really good at doing. And they saw that and, and they offered me a promotion in a full time role. And I, I was just really, really blessed. And it worked out really well. And so that then allowed me to get into a full time job where I wasn't doing any play by play. But I was listening to play-by-play. -play. And I was around it. I was in this culture, this like incubator of play-by-play -play, where we're analyzing it, critiquing it, talking about it, um, you know, dreaming up new ways to do it, all this stuff. It was like a play-by-play like -play fraternity. And, and, you know, through that role, I was building connections. I was getting a chance to maybe fill in on a couple of games here and there. Not big games, but like, 
a couple of opportunities here and there. And, and that's what really bolstered me to the next step. Um, how did you get better as a play-by-play announcer being around it that way? I think through osmosis a little bit, like, I mean, there was a, uh, just by proxy. I mean, we, we talked so much about, um, you know, so, so just to paint the picture in Winston-Salem, there are these, there are these two rooms, these two enormous rooms, and there's just cubicle after cubicle with them. And, and every cubicle has a mixer and uh, a computer. And it's got like a rack underneath the table, underneath the desk where there's just ISD, IP, um, you know, maybe a, a POTS uh, unit. And there's, there's all this equipment. And we're just like, honestly, at about 1.30 p.m. on college football Saturdays where like the pregame shows started for the 3.30 games and the noon games are at halftime. Those rooms are like the New York Stock Exchange floor. I mean, it's chaos, right? But what's really cool is like, you know, the computers shared all the highlights. So you could listen to the highlights of any of these games. And then on Monday, we'd have these meetings and we'd like talk about like, okay, what, what, what were the best highlights of the weekend? And a lot of times it was the same guys popping up over and over. And then what were, what were some of the worst highlights of the weekend? <laughs> and then you, you'd hear some of those and be like, okay, that's a great example of what not to do. And um, so, so just kind of being around that constantly and, and producing, you know, my own broadcast, I, I produced the Huskies my first year there. And then um, starting my second year, I produced Notre Dame football and I produced that for, for maybe like six years and I hopped around on different basketball networks, but just, just having those conversations, meeting play by play guys, when you would fill in talking to them a little bit, um, you know, you'd, you'd call some high school games, you send off the tapes to Bob Rondo or whoever and say, Hey, I, I know you're busy. I would love you to just like, tell me whatever it is you think of this. If you have a minute to, to respond to this email, I'd really appreciate it. And then just being open, like it, it, it grates on the ego. It rips at the soul when people are telling you it is not good. But you got to just listen to it. You got to just take it and accept it and be like, okay, I mean, that's, that's what they think. This is where I need to grow. And I'm, I really don't want to ever make that mistake again. And, um, what were those, I just, what were those, what were the biggest things in that area that you would hear? Um, you're asking me to go back like, (laughs) like seven, eight years, which is kind of hard to do. (laughs) Now I'll tell you honestly, like, I, I feel like I'm a little harder on myself now than, than I even was back then. Um, I could, I could tell you more about the things now that I don't like about what I do than, than, than back then. What do you not like now? <laughs> what I don't like now. And, and what do you, is, and what do you like now too? Yeah. Uh, what I don't like now. And I just honestly, like uh, just to try to, to go easy on myself and to give myself a break. I, I really don't like how on a lot of our big plays this year, I lost control of my voice. Like, I hate that. Like the, like the, the, the guy that wants to be like perfect at this and, and wants like the highlight to just be like, you know, Vin Scully, Bob Costas, just music to the ears. Like that, 
I like I just hate it. But at the same time, to give myself a little bit of a break, um, <laughs> we had some amazing, amazing moments this past year too. And the fans and and so like I had coffee with Brock Heward recently, and I was asking him, you know, for some of his advice, and he said, um one of the best pieces of advice he ever got was decide who it is that you're broadcasting to. Like, who is it? Who, who is your audience? Cause you can't please everybody. Are you trying to, are you trying to broadcast to the people who hand out awards? Are you trying to broadcast so that like, you know, um, the, the other play by play community members are going to just think like, yeah, I'm very impressed with this guy. He, he's one of us, blah, blah, blah. Or are you trying to talk to the fans or are you trying to talk, or, or are you broadcasting for the coaches? Like, are, are you just trying to, you know, protect them? Um, and I don't know if protect's the right word, but, like, represent them, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of different people. You can't please everybody. And as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm talking to the fans here. Like, mm-hmm. I really am. And, and, that, and that moment when Byron Murphy intercepted the ball and took up the left sideline for a touchdown in the Pac-12 championship game, and like it started to dawn on me, holy crap! I might call a Rose Bowl game. Yeah, I like I lost it, but you know what? So did our fan base. You know, we haven't been to the Rose Bowl in 18 years. We're, we're you know we're one of the most proud college football fan bases that there is. There's two national championships that are up there in the stadium, and you know it's it's a it's a fan base that is. It's been a long time coming to go back to those Rose Bowls uh, of of the Don James era and of you know, yesteryear. And I just, at that moment, I turned into the seven-year-old that always dreamed of calling a Rose Bowl game and I lost it. And I wish, I, I wish it was the perfect, perfect call, but at the same time, like, I don't know, that was authentic me. That was real authentic me. And so, you know, that's something to work on, right? Like Mm. it's, it's, it's not, it's not that it was, it's not that it was ideal. It's also not that it was a zero out of 10. It's something to work on. I want to find that sweet spot. Um, I want to fill the time better in a football game. You know, there's, there's a lot of downtime here and there. It's not quite like baseball where you can really get into the storytelling, but there is downtime compared to a basketball broadcast. I want to fill that better. And I want my vocabulary to get deeper. I want to fire on all cylinders a little bit quicker with with the precise word at the right time so those are those are the kind of things i'm trying to work on yeah i like that point about who you're broadcasting to because it does matter and it is different and sometimes you can please one audience sometimes you can please all audiences and sometimes you just have to pick which audience of those you want to please uh and maybe that one there's i don't know if there's like a trickle down if you please this one you please that one um but you have to identify to yourself which one is most important. Uh, otherwise, you're going to drive yourself uh, batty by the end of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I think I felt a lot of pressure um, stepping into this role and, and replacing Bob Rondo. I mean, a Schenkel Award winner, an 11-time state sportscaster of the year. Um, you know, one of those guys like Vin Scully who can just off the top of his head be a poet. And it's just like, I mean, that's, that's, that's not really been my style and I could come in and I can look at that. And, and again, like, so this could go, this is where the lessons from my talk radio days in Columbus and getting laid (laughs) off that job. This is, they apply really well here. It's like, okay, Bob was this amazing Bob. 
if I'm going to try to like not be me, but try to be Bob, I'm just going to be a crappy Bob. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to like do it well. I'm, I'm just going to be like a knockoff single A version of Bob. Like what I should do is just be me. And hopefully as I grow and keep working on my craft and get better and better and better, hopefully I'll, I'll turn into a great me. And, and that's really what my goal is. And, um, you know, I don't, just because I got this job does not mean I feel like I've arrived. Like I've got a long way to go to become the broadcaster that I want to be, but I, I want to be true to myself. I want to be me and I want to be the best me that I can be. And that, there's just going to be a whole lot of work that's going to have to go into that. Um, what did you learn from Bob? You're obviously there in August of two years ago when you get the job, you observed that first football season. Um, how do I, I know you've talked at articles about just kind of watching his preparation and what he does, but mm-hmm. I, I guess more so like, what's that dynamic like when, when like the young buck is standing in the back of the booth trying to figure out how he's going to replace you as, as, as Bob is finishing his career and kind of how that handing off of the baton worked, because it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to fill somebody's shoes cold Turkey. It's another thing to kind of be able to walk before you run in some senses. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there a benefit to that? in your eyes? Yeah, I, I think there really was. And I was glad that I was able to start off year one by just doing a observing him in football, B just doing basketball, because that is the sport that I had way more experience with. And then it kind of set me up for a first football season where it's like, okay, I'm not brand, brand new here. Um, and, and I've, I've often said this, but you know, I, I feel like it bears repeating. Um, from my standpoint, it really didn't matter if I was replacing Bob or if I was replacing someone who wasn't very good, who had only been here for a couple of years and ended up, you know, being shown the door for whatever reason. Like that does that doesn't change how I'm going to approach my job. It, it doesn't change how like hard I'm going to work and how grateful I am to be in this position. It doesn't change any of that. Right. So it's really more just like, can I have like the intestinal fortitude to be like, okay, last football game, Bob was doing it. And he was like, so poetic as he signed off and he, he he had a a masterful call of this Fiesta Bowl game. And now like, it's, it's me just stepping into this role and like, away we go, here we go for better or for worse. But, um, you know, I think what I learned from Bob in that um, in that season where I kind of shadowed him was his command of the booth. Like, he was really the quarterback of that staff. Like, I mean, because as anybody who does this knows, um, it's a team sport. Like, broadcasting is totally a team sport. And even if you're just like a solo men's basketball, doing your own engineering, you don't have an analyst, all that. It's still a team sport because there's somebody that you're connecting to back at the studio. They got to play the spots. And then there's somebody who's selling the spots. And then there's, you know, a a coach that's going to join you. And then there's all, you know, there's all these pieces that you need to bring together. And I just thought Bob was a really great quarterback and a leader and everybody looked to him. Right. And if, if something was going wrong, they looked to him. If something was going great, they looked to him. And, and he had command of that booth. And that was probably the number one thing that I took away of like, okay, now I'm going to be the new guy. I'm going to have to step in. 
And I'm going to have to try to like get everybody to buy in to like the fact that, Hey, we've got a new guy that's worth having confidence in. And so I I think that's like, you know, gradual, like I didn't want to come in and change everything overnight, even if I saw some things that I wanted to do a little bit differently. Maybe let's just keep a lot of stuff status quo for now, build that trust, that camaraderie and that, um, I don't know, that family feel like we're all in this together and everybody's opinion counts and, and all this. And then, and then once we kind of feel like we're, we're growing those bonds, then, uh, we can go from there. Um, what was the last time you was, I guess, was this past year, your first football season in full collegiately? It was my first college football season in full. What yeah. what did you learn from doing that? Um, the season's really short. Uh, I, I, I think <laughs> That's true, what yeah. really, really, really like blew me away was like the, the season's like 900 plays. <laughs> I mean, like, well, when you, put you it know, that way, you, yeah. <laughs> you, you do all this prep, you do all this analyzing and everything, and you read all these player bios of 99 guys, and you try to get to know all that. And then it's like you have 900 snaps and then it's done. You know, I mean, that that's shocking. Um, and it it made me realize, like, how every one of those snaps really means. They're all really, really important. And maybe maybe we're up 45 to three on on North Dakota in the fourth quarter. But I mean, these snaps still matter. And so now it's like. Now, now I've learned that they matter. Now I realize they matter. Mm. And now it's trying to relay that to the audience in a way that they can digest and understand. Because there's no there's no coach in America. There's no player on the field ever that's like taking a playoff, you know. Um, but I think as broadcasters, sometimes we might feel that way because we're, we're kind of all fans at heart. And the fan in us sees like all the other fans leaving the stadium and going to the tailgate and drinking the beer and all that other stuff. And we're like, all right, we're done. Right. But we're not, we're not. And so I think it's like trying to find ways to like tell that story and continue to talk about, all right, we're, we're beating Oregon state 28 to three in the first quarter. We got three more quarters to go. We got a, a lot of things that we could talk about and how do we fill up the dead time? How do we fill up these plays and, and, you know, sometimes in college football, you got an up-tempo offense where it's just you're turning and burning plays. But other times they're huddling up and then you got 30 seconds. And, and that's not enough time to get into a long baseball play-by-play story. But it is enough time to, like, be ready to, to interject some, some, some strong little nuggets in there. And, and so just trying to find ways to fill up that time. Um. How do you find the ways to fill up that time? And I just ask because if you go to your website, you have a reading list, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> uh, twist. And some of it is books, and some of it, it looks like just places you go on, on the reg. Um, not to be Katie Couric and make you Sarah Palin, but uh, what, what do you read? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I right now, I am, I'm really into, so I'm, I'm somewhat newly married. You know, I've, I've gotten married in the last couple of years. So I read a lot of books on marriage. Um, Smart. Marriage, <laughs> marriage is, marriage is hard. And I think we, you know, we, we watch all these rom-coms where it's like, they say I do fade to black. You only see like the wedding day, right? You don't realize that there's a lot of work that goes into bringing two totally different people together 
and and you know I, I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but tolerating each other for 50 years, right? Because, like... He didn't mean that. He didn't mean that, if you're listening, Selena. No, I I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I think she would she would probably say that more about me than I would about her. Like, I mean, it's just absolutely true because everybody's got their quirks and everything else. So, yeah. anyway, I, I read a lot about... Uh, a lot about that. I, I, I like philosophy. I like self-help books. This guy, John Gordon, who wrote The Energy Bus... Mm-hmm. just sold you know millions of copies and he's got a, a whole bunch of books i'm reading a lot on him um you know i'm, I'm kind of interested in history i really don't read when it comes to books i don't read very much about sports uh one of the topics that i'm super 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 interested in is um you know just the structure of the ncaa paying student athletes should we shouldn't we all that stuff because i think it's a way more nuanced and complicated conversation than anybody's having publicly. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of like data that we need to like draw from there before we, you know, start trying to interpret what that means and what's the best way to move forward. Um, but yeah, those, those are the things, those are the things I read. I read those, you know, sort of books probably most often I'm trying to. So Matt Chaz now again, He's a big reader. He's really into like classic fiction, like, you know, Kurt Vonnegut and uh, like Catch-22 and Crime and Punishment and books like that. And I'm like trying to get into that a little bit, um, but I get so my reading list is so long. I get so interested in these other philosophical, faith based, um, you know, self-help all, all this, all this other stuff. Crime and punishment is too many pages for me. So uh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good book, though. <laughs> Fair. Um, I'll I'll take your word for that one. Uh, <laughs> um, your idols are Keith Jackson and Brent Musburger, right? Yeah. Like if I had to be asked in a whim, like I was in that Seattle Times article you're probably referencing. Yeah. Um, uh, I grew up on those guys. I loved how they do the game. I'd say currently I love Gus Johnson. And that's, that's kind of like, that's kind of how I feel. Like when Gus is losing his mind, like that's how I feel in a, in a big moment. Yeah, that's interesting. I, not that, not that that surprises me. Cause I love Gus a lot too, but that's like from a, like X's and O's pure, like, and this goes back to the conversation about who are you trying to impress with what you're doing, the fan or like the fellow broadcaster or whatnot. Like, I feel like we, we always look at that and be like, well, he's just losing his mind. But there's something enjoyable about that that's different than the like strict X's and O's. He is fundamentally great. Not that Gus isn't, but the the type of guy that usually gets highlighted. Um, that's a different different take to it, I think. Yeah, like I was I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast uh, a couple weeks ago where he was just talking about like like one of the things that makes him emotional where he like, can't, he like, can't help it. Like it brings him to tears every time is just seeing like the triumph of the human spirit and, and to see when people accomplish something when it doesn't seem possible. And I think there's, there's a little bit of that that we get to capture in a moment. And, and so as, as I'm like, as I'm around, our campus 365 days a year like and and i'm like seeing these guys and 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 these young women like put in all this hard work 
and this blood and sweat and tears and the 6 a.m. weightlifting and everything else. And then when you see them succeed, it's a it's a way more personal thing for a team play by play guy to see those young men and women succeed than it is for a national broadcaster who comes in and like, you know, it's like, oh, big play. They win the game, you know, whatever. Like, like to to me. I'm in this really unique position where it's like I get to try to capture what that triumph of the human spirit really is like, feels like. And 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 I, I get to try to document it in this moment. And mm-hmm. if I'm like inauthentically suppressing my enthusiasm just because I want to have like a Barney broadcaster call like that, that that's that's just not that's not the way I want to do it. Because I, I am way too passionate about it and, and way, way more invested in like the personal success of, of, of Byron Murphy, who's just this like super polite kid who, you know, he's 20 years old. He has a son. He's gonna, going to the NFL. So, you know, he can take care of his family now and everything else. And like to see him have a big moment, like you just you just feel joy. You just feel you, you, and and. I, I think Gus Johnson, like, I think he feels a little bit of that, that joy for somebody else. He sees that triumph of, of a human accomplishment and he just is in the moment and he lets himself be in the moment. And I love the way he does. And I think he's gotten really good at harnessing that because that could be like wild, untamed energy, right? Like. Yeah. He's, he's gotten good at harnessing that. And that's what I'm trying to do is, is like, I want to still have that energy, that big explosion. I just want to harness it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think Gus is the man. I, I love it. And it's the same with Brent Musburger. I thought no one narrated a story from kickoff to, to the end of the game as good as Brent Musburger. And then Keith Jackson was, he was the Vin Scully of college football. I mean, he was so darn poetic and um, just had this larger-than-life sense, uh, just presence, I should say. And when you heard his voice, you just knew it was a big game. Like, there was no question about it. That voice means big time. And, uh, yeah, those those are the guys, if you ask me. Um, I want to ask you before I let you go, too, about, and this kind of takes us back to where we started on the singer-songwriter part of it. Um, I want to ask you about voice. Um <laughs> And I always ask this question tongue-in-cheek, uh, but somewhat seriously, too. Uh, how long have you sounded like this? And what what has gone into making you sound like this? Um, well, my mom says when I was born, all the babies in the nursery kind of had these, these, you know, normal baby cries. And I was just kind of like, wah. <laughs> and she, she was like, that's weird. Like, that's something unique about that he's gonna and then so then you know like you get to like fifth grade and you you got the school play coming up and someone needs to sing monster mash and they just turn to the kid with like the the deepest voice in the room it's like he's gonna sing monster mash and like so i i don't know i've always kind of had a a deeper voice maybe than than average for my age um uh i I don't that that probably answers that specific question um (laughs) but yeah i I think, I think, so there's this book that I, I haven't gotten very far with right now, but Brian Anderson from TBS recommended to me, he said, uh, this book called Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. 
And um, it, it's just about using your natural voice and maximizing its potential. Because I think there are, there are some great broadcasters I know who don't like the way they sound. They're like, I'm, I'm too nasally, I'm too high-pitched, whatever. And it's like, man, you know what? You got a great voice in there that it's like you just tweaked a couple of things. The words you say are phenomenal. You're a really brilliant broadcaster. If you want to change how you sound, then just put some work into these things. And I truthfully, I, I probably have put more work into what I say rather than how I say it, just because I feel like that's where I have a lot more room that I need to grow in this moment. But I want to grow a lot in voice as well, because I just think that like, that's it's such an important thing. It's, I mean, it's our instrument, it's our tool, right? Like we, we need to be able to know how to use it the right way. Other things you do in regards to that now, or like what comes from that book that, that Brian recommended? I, I really haven't gotten too far into it, so I'll have to report back. Um, I think uh, one thing that I've noticed, and I, I've always had allergy problems my whole entire life. <laughs> Welcome to the club. And, yeah. Yeah, man, it's brutal. And um, also because I can, you know, get really into these games come tournament time, I could lose my voice really easily because, like, I broadcast hard, man. <laughs> I, I, go, I go really hard. And so, you know, then you do three or four days of games in a row and, and you could lose it pretty easily. And one thing that Bill Riley, the voice of the youths, told me is he just put me on like a water drinking challenge. He's like, drink as much water as you, as is humanly possible. Like drink as like, I challenge you to drink three gallons of water today. And I bet you your voice will start to come back. And I was like, no way, really? But I guess one of the worst things for your voice is dehydration. And so, um, I mean, it's hard to trust me. It's hard to drink three gallons of water in a day. But when you're losing your voice and you got a show to do and, and you need to bounce back, you'll try anything. And so, yeah, like the green tea with, with honey and lemon, that's, that helps. That's for real. But I found that nothing really helps as much as just total hydration and then just resting it. You just got to shut up and, you know, um, save it for when you're on the air. But I'd say those are the three things that have started to, to help me um, work through those dicey situations better than anything else. Well, Tony, if people want to find you or uh, find the Huskies, uh, how do they track you down? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Castricone. Um, seldom used Instagram is uh, at Tony.Castricone, I think. I don't even know for sure. That's how seldom I use it. Um, and then uh, I'm really excited about um, a, a podcast thing I'm working on that, that we should have some information coming out about in the next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that's that's probably the thing where I'm really, really excited. I think you do a great job of having personal conversations with people here. And, and it's something that I've been wanting to do with a lot of athletes, coaches, broadcasters, other people we know of in the, in the sports industry. Um, I've been wanting to do that for a long time and, and I'm going to get that started coming up pretty soon too. So yeah, pretty excited about that. Uh, it is, uh, just Tony Castricone, by the way, no dot on Instagram. Oh, thank you. Quick, quick reference. <laughs> there you there are. For it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you saved the day. Good job. <laughs> uh, Tony, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't really know where else I was going to go with that. Yeah. Just thanks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks Joel. Anytime. <laughs> 
That is Tony Castricone joining us, the voice of the Washington Huskies. And I'll go back to what I led with at the very beginning from the standpoint of who you're broadcasting to. And I think it's a really interesting uh, approach. You know, we're going to have calls sometimes that we don't think are like the most broadcaster clean call ever. This is like broadcast 101 Hall of Fame. But did it encapsulate the moment and the emotion of the moment? Did the fans love it? Did they know what was happening? You know, who are you trying to impress? You could have like the cleanest, most perfect, pristine broadcast of all time and fans could hate you. Well, are you doing a good job or not? Because our job is several fold and you're trying to balance several things. You're trying to be a great technical broadcaster, but you're also trying to make sure that the people listening to you like you. They don't all have to like you, but if they all don't like you, that's going to be a problem in the long run. So trying to understand uh, who your audience is and not playing to them because you have to be who you are, but at some point satisfying them. Hey, maybe I didn't have a great call on this moment. I think technically it's not going to win the Broadcaster Award in the Hall of Fame, but the fans loved it. Well, that's maybe still a good call. I think uh, we we should probably look at things through that perspective a little bit as well. Uh, That's Tony Castricone here on episode 155 of Play by Playcast. Until next week, we're on a seven-day break. My name is Joel Gadet, and we are out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.